Hi, I am Jack Humberg, and you're listening to ADA Live. Yo. Hi, let's roll. Let's go. Hi, everybody. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to ADA Live. I'm Barry Whaley. I'm the director of the Southeast ADA Center. As a reminder, listening audience, if you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, you can use our online form anytime at adalive.org. We're happy today to welcome our guest, Jack Humberg. Jack is the Chief Operating Officer for the Bowley Centers, a private not-for-profit organization that provides housing, supported housing, and employment services for people with disabilities, individuals, and families who are homeless, veterans, and youth in the Tampa Bay area of Florida. Jack is also our longtime Florida affiliate for the Southeast ADA Center. So Jack, thanks for being with us today. And although the ADA does not specifically address housing, the ADA does have four aspirational goals, full participation, independent living, equal opportunity, and economic self-sufficiency. And none of those four goals would be possible without fair and accessible housing. So maybe a place to start, Jack, is what do we mean when we, we say fair and accessible housing? Well, that's a great question, Barry. I think it means the right for all people to live where they choose, to, to have access to housing, uh, and to enjoy the full use of their homes without unlawful discrimination or interference or co coercion or threats or intimidation by owners or landlords or real estate agents or anyone for that matter. So yeah, I think about fair housing in terms of um, four basic principles that that being individuality, uh, you know, housing providers must respect the unique needs and circumstances of individuals with disabilities. Equality, uh, you know, people with disabilities should have an equal opportunity to live where they want and not be subject, subjected to rules or requirements that, that are different from those applied to people without disabilities. Integration, of course, people with disabilities are entitled to live in communities with their neighbors, integrated into their community. It doesn't just mean a physical presence, but, you know, participation in community services, condo boards, uh, neighborhood associations, you know, being a part of your community. And, of course, choice. People with disabilities should be able to live where they choose to live. So that, that's how I would frame fair housing as it stands today in 2022. Of course, there's still plenty of discrimination in the housing world. So when we say fair and accessible housing, it's so much more than just having a roof over your head or a, a place to live. It's all, all these elements, it's the quality that you mentioned, integration, it's, it really is kind of a, a cohesive thing. So from, Fair and accessible housing, obviously the ADA, as we said, doesn't address housing. What is the Fair Housing Act and how does that protect people from housing discrimination? Well, the Fair Housing Act is a federal civil rights law 
dating back to 1988. Uh, you may recall that the uh, Civil Rights Acts in the early 60s um, uh, and the Fair Housing Act, it came out in 1968, providing you know protection for people from discrimination in housing, didn't initially include disability. That was not added until the amendments in 1988 where uh, disability was added to the Fair Housing Act and provides protections for people with disabilities and uh, provides uh, an investigation and, and uh, remedies under the Fair Housing Act. So, you know, you do have the availability of filing a complaint with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, and uh, they are the enforcement agent for uh, the Fair Housing Act. Most housing, most privately owned housing in the United States is not covered by the ADA, but there are obligations under the Fair Housing Act dating back to 1988. Thanks, Jack. So, so what about people with disabilities? How, how, how is disability defined under the, the Fair Housing Act? Is it similar to ADA or is there a, a different definition? Uh, no, it is essentially the same definition. And fortunately, uh, you know, the, the definition under the ADA and the Fair Housing Act are, are identical. So with respect to the individual, it's a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more of a major life activity. You can have protection under the Fair Housing Act if you have a record of impairment or record of disability and are discriminated against on the basis of that record. And you can have protection under the Fair Housing Act if you are regarded as having a disability and are discriminated against on the basis of that assumption, uh, even though you may not be disabled, if you are discriminated against based upon that uh, false assumption, you could still have protection under the Fair Housing Act, much like the ADA. So, in that, and that definition originates from the Rehabilitation Act, is that right? That's correct. That's correct. It does go back to the Rehabilitation Act, and it's important to understand that the Rehabilitation Act, uh, 1973, under Section 504, providers of uh, federally assisted housing have a higher obligation to be accessible to people with disabilities. That covers, uh, you know, publicly funded housing, and uh, you know, we can talk more about that if you're interested. Let's get to that in a minute. So to better understand fair housing, do, does everybody have to comply with the law? Are there exceptions? There are some exceptions. Certain housing is exempt for small owner-occupied buildings. So if you have a, uh, a triplex or even a quadplex and the owner lives on property, they're really not covered under the Fair Housing Act. If an individual owns, uh, say, three family homes and rents those out, they are not covered by the Fair Housing Act. So it, it applies to um, four or more units. And uh, that includes, uh, you know, all of the protections uh, under the Fair Housing Act. I, I should point out that even if you're a small, uh, you know, small landlord with just three units, it is a violation of the Fair Housing Act to advertise in a discriminatory manner. Uh, so that still applies to a small landlord. But in general, the provisions of the Fair Housing Act only apply if you have four or more units. There's also some exemptions for senior housing for 
in developments for individuals who are 62 or older, and those are typically federally funded projects, uh, but possibly not. If it is senior housing for 62 or older, they do not have the protections under the familial status or the presence of children. They they have they they can legally discriminate based on familial status and age protections. That also applies to 55 or older communities. The rules are a little bit different for the 55 or older. They have to have at least 80% of their units with that uh, provision of 55 or older. But the point is that both the senior housing and 55 and older housing does have exemptions from the familial status provisions of the Fair Housing Act. And of course, uh, religious organizations uh, and some private clubs also have um, some exemptions. So you can discriminate on the basis of religion in your convent. Those exemptions are there. That does not exclude the provisions uh, for discrimination against a person with a disability, however. So just so I'm clear, when we're talking about familial status and, and, you know, essentially what you're saying is in senior housing, I can exclude families with young children, regardless if it's a, you know, a child or a grandchild or whatever, those people can, can be excluded from that senior housing. Is that right? That's correct. Converse is also correct in that if you are providing housing and you are not a uh, a senior housing, you know, designated by HUD as senior housing, you cannot discriminate against the presence of children in a a family. So, uh, you know, you sometimes see ads running in, well, used to see ads. (laughs) Now we, uh, everything's done online, but, uh, you know, to to advertise it, uh, no children allowed would be a violation of the Fair Housing Act, regardless of how uh, how many units you're renting. It's that HUD designation of senior housing that, that triggers that. That's correct. That triggers the exemptions. Right. Okay. Thanks. So we know the Fair Housing Act has, has different rules, different regulations for housing that's privately built versus, as you mentioned, government-built housing or government-funded housing. Can you spend a few minutes maybe talking about those differences between private built housing and government built? Sure, sure. And this is important to understand. Uh, As we mentioned before, publicly funded or publicly owned housing is covered by Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. So they have uh, a higher obligation to provide accessibility, um, both in terms of the design and construction standards so if you're building with uh, federal funds, as Boley Centers does, for example, we have to build in accessibility that goes beyond the Fair Housing Act design and construction requirements. So we have at least 5% of our units, um, no less than one, that are fully accessible with rolling showers, accessible kitchens, et cetera. Uh, and 2% that are provided for individuals with sensory disabilities, visual impairments, hearing impairments. And so there are special features built into those units because of the federal money that triggers Section 504 and those requirements. Uh, The other important distinction is that uh, uh, landlords who are using federal financial assistance have an obligation to provide the uh, reasonable modifications to the unit to make it accessible and enjoyable for a person with a disability. 
that may go beyond required of the uh, design and construction standards. In privately owned housing, and this is this is very important, in privately owned housing that is not uh, federally funded, the provision of a reasonable modification should be allowed by the landlord, but not paid for by the landlord. In those situations where I need to make a physical modification to my apartment or my home that I'm renting, uh, or or in a condo uh, that I'm that I own, uh, they cannot stop me from making the reasonable modifications to uh, to my unit, but it's at my expense, not the landlord's. In the federally funded, uh, that cost is borne by the landlord, not the tenant. Well, that's that's an interesting distinction. So. So staying with that topic, let's say that I need to install a ramp or I need to make some sort of modification to my housing that's owned by somebody else. What happens when I leave that housing? Well, your landlord may require you to escrow funds to put the, uh, the unit or the, the modification back to its original condition. That's usually not required in public and common use areas, uh, you know, a curb cut or something that benefits the community in general. But if I'm lowering my kitchen cabinets because I'm a wheelchair user and I can't reach them, so I lower my kitchen cabinets, uh, my landlord may require me to put those back when I leave. And they can require you to escrow funds when you do that kind of renovation so that at the money is available to uh, put it back to its original condition when you leave. Those costs, both for the modification and for restoring the property, that's all on me, right? That's correct. That's on the tenant, not the landlord. Correct. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jack. ADA Live listening audience, if you have questions about this topic or any other ADA Live topic, you can submit those questions online at adalive.org. Or you can call the Southeast ADA Center. Our number is 1-404-541-9001. And now a word from this episode's sponsor. Bowley Center's mission is to enrich the lives of people in recovery by providing the highest quality treatment, rehabilitation, employment, and housing services. They envision to set the standard as an innovative leader for the services provided. Bowley Centers is located in St. Petersburg, Florida, and serves as the Florida State Affiliate of the Southeast ADA Center. For more information, visit their website at bowleycenters.org. Hi, welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Jack Humberg. He is the Chief Operating Officer for Bowley Centers in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're talking about fair and accessible housing today. Jack, What is a frequent issue or problem that people with disabilities face under the Fair Housing Act? Well, you know, one of the probably the most frequent call I get is about parking. Individuals with disabilities who are renting an apartment or living in a a condominium community where there is no reserved parking frequently have a need for a reasonable accommodation to change that policy to allow them to reserve a parking place near their unit. Um, Due to a physical disability, they're unable to walk long distances and simply need a reserved parking space. This happens very often and many landlords are reluctant to allow that 
type of an accommodation for a person with a disability. Keep in mind this uh, reserved parking space doesn't need to be necessarily a fully accessible space, which in Florida, for example, would be a 12-foot wide space with a 5-foot wide access aisle and above ground signage for a person with a disability. No, in, in housing, if a person needs a parking space, it may not even need to be larger than other spaces. They simply need a space close to their unit. They may need a, you know, a van accessible uh, space, but uh, in most cases, that's not required. And uh, the landlord has an obligation to make reasonable accommodations to their policy of not reserving parking to allow that person with a disability to have that parking space reserved for them closer to their unit to make their, their housing more accessible to them. That's one of our more frequent examples of uh, complaints we get where landlords are reluctant to do that because they, they're concerned it will uh, trigger a, an avalanche of requests for reserve parking, which typically doesn't really happen. You may get a couple people who, who do truly need accessible parking and the land, landlord, the condo association can determine and uh, you know, ask for documentation that there is a disability before reserving that parking space. So to be clear, you can designate a reserved parking place, but it does not necessarily need to meet all the accessibility guidelines for accessible parking, unless, of course, somebody is a wheelchair user. Yes, that's correct. And it does not necessarily have to meet all of the requirements uh, for an accessible parking space. It simply needs to meet that individual tenant's need. Uh, to be closer to their uh, apartment. Let me uh, just expand on that a little bit. It, when we're looking at fair housing uh, accommodations, it's much much like accommodating an employee under the ADA. You don't necessarily need to go to the design and construction standards to determine what is needed for that uh, tenant. You need to ask them what they need. And it may be uh, a grab bar in an unusual location, uh, it may be, uh, you know, modifications to the unit that are not contained in the design and construction standards, but meet that individual tenant's need uh, and allow them to enjoy their apartment. Right. Very good point. Thanks, Jack. I'm a little confused about the fair housing accessibility guidelines. Can you maybe walk us through what those are? Yes. Um, under the Fair Housing Act, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, developed the Fair Housing Accessibility Guidelines. They cover any building with four or more units occupied on or after March 13th of 1991. Um, Single-family homes and townhomes, by the way, are not covered by the accessibility standards. It covers buildings with elevators. If, if you've got an elevator in your building, all units must be usable by people with disabilities and meet these standards. If it does not have an eleva- elevator, then all of the ground floor units must be usable by people with disabilities. There are generally seven different uh, items that need to be uh, addressed. And let me say that if you follow the Fair Housing Act accessibility guidelines, you're not necessarily going to uh, achieve a fully accessible unit. You remember we were discussing uh, federally assisted properties uh, and under 504, 
you have an obligation to have at least 5% of the units fully accessible with, uh, you know, features like a roll-in shower. That's not contained in the Fair Housing Act uh, accessibility standards. Or the seven items, if you'd like me to go over them. Yeah, please. Is at least one accessible building entrance. That's the first. The second is an accessible route to the building main entrance that has a 36 wide door and uh, 32 inch wide doors throughout the unit. All common areas must be accessible. And that includes, uh, you know, the pool deck, the clubhouse and, and you know, other common areas, an accessible route into and through the unit. And that doesn't mean to every space, but into and through the unit. There's a requirement for accessible light switches, thermostats, and other environmental controls installed at a height no, no higher than 48 inches to the, uh, uh, to the device, and electrical outlets no lower than 15 inches. Uh, there's a requirement for reinforced bathroom walls around the tub and the commode for future installation of grab bars. The grab bars do not have to be installed, but there needs to be backing in your bathroom walls for the future uh, installation if needed, and usable kitchens and bathrooms in which a person in a wheelchair can maneuver. And as I mentioned a, a minute ago, that doesn't mean a fully accessible kitchen and bathroom. That means a usable kitchen and bathroom with uh, maneuvering space. So I, you know, I, I think it's important to understand that these, these guidelines or the, you know, the Fair Housing Act accessibility guidelines are a minimum. Um, and just basically get you in the door and through your unit, but does not necessarily provide full accessibility. Uh, and this applies to all units. So it's, you know, it applies to every unit in a building with an elevator and every unit on the first floor if it doesn't have an elevator. Minimum right. standards. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say, that these, these are the bare minimum standards then, but we should always aspire to greater accessibility when, when possible. Are there state laws then that may offer greater accessibility standards? And how does that work with federal law? Well, there are, and you need to look to your state to be sure you are following both the federal and state guidelines. Obviously, um, the states cannot lower those thresholds. In some cases, um, they exceed the, these and require greater accessibility. I, I mentioned earlier Florida's accessible parking space. That's a, that's a Florida law that goes above and beyond what's at the federal level. And, and there are other requirements in both Florida law and other states that have specific provisions for housing and, in, and also in uh, you know, commercial facilities covered by the ADA. Right. So, so as a rule of thumb, look, look to your state guidelines to when you were in the design and construction of, of, of these facilities. Yes. And I think, uh, you know, as we said, the Fair Housing Act accessibility guidelines are the minimums. Start there. Uh, you're going to need to meet those requirements at a minimum and then look to your state code to see if there are additional uh, accessibility features that need to be included. Right. Right. Thanks, Jack. Hey, I've got a question for you. How does fair housing address service animals and emotional support animals? We know under the ADA, for instance, uh, a service animal handler has protections where emotional support animals 
uh, handlers do not. But we're talking about housing here. So what, what's the difference? Well, that's a good question. And this would be the other answer to what's the most common complaint we get. <laughs> if it's not parking, it's a service animal or an emotional support animal. The Fair Housing Act says that you can have both a service animal that uh, provides a specific service to that individual and an emotional and or I should say an emotional support animal. They are covered by the Fair Housing Act. Such animals are not subject to the general rules and fees applicable to pets. So you can't charge a pet deposit. Um, They may not be rejected because of a lack of specialized training. So an emotional support animal, uh, say a cat that provides emotional support to an individual with a disability, uh, doesn't have to be specifically trained, unlike a service animal under the ADA. They may be required to be inoculated and registered in compliance with state or local laws, and the animal's owner may be held responsible for ensuring that it's properly restrained and its waste is properly disposed of and so on. Um, So it's important to understand the difference there. Uh, Service animals are categorized as animals that are trained to do a specific task for their owner. Uh, And the most common example, of course, is a guide dog. An assistance animal may be a cat or a dog or other type of companion animal that does not need to be trained to perform a service. The emotional and physical benefits from uh, an animal living in a home are what qualifies that animal as an assistance animal. Unlike under the ADA, where you can't require documentation, a landlord can require a letter from a medical doctor or therapist, and that's all that's needed to classify that animal as an assistance animal. The fact that the term service animal is often used by landlords and public housing authorities to refer to both service dogs and assistance animals often creates confusion. But uh, in either case, in housing, you can have both or either a service animal or an assistive animal. You could have two, actually, but uh, it's obviously uh, handled differently than under the ADA. If I am a renter and I have an emotional support animal, my landlord can ask for documentation that that I need that emotional support animal, but my landlord cannot ask for that documentation if I have a service animal. A landlord can ask for documentation in either case. I see. Okay. Um, And that there is a need, that there is a disability and a need for the animal. Okay without asking for diagnosis or, uh, you know, any other medical information, just the fact that this individual has a disability and this animal provides a service to that individual. Right. Just to make sure we're clear. So thank you. Jack, I've followed your career for years now. I know that the Bowley centers in the Tampa Bay area have a long and successful history of assisting people with fair and affordable housing. Tell, tell me a little bit more about Bowley Center for, for people who, who may not know about all the great work you do. Well, Bowley Centers is a private nonprofit. Um, our mission is to help individuals in recovery from mental illness. We have a separate corporation called Pinellas Affordable Living that has a slightly different mission, and that is to provide affordable housing to people with disabilities. In our housing, we, uh, we do have 
uh, you, you're not required to have a uh, mental health disability, although we have some properties that are funded by HUD specifically to serve that population. So we have about 1,200 units of housing, and that includes um, serving as a housing authority. And we have uh, housing choice vouchers for individuals with disabilities, individuals uh, living with AIDS uh, under the HOPWA program, the Housing Opportunities for Persons with AIDS program, HOPWA. And we also have some additional vouchers for individuals who are homeless. Most of those individuals also have a mental health disability. So we provide a, a services to individuals with mental illness, uh, in, including supported living, uh, where we have individuals help them live independently in the community, whether they're living in our units or in uh, a private landlord. We provide some vocational services for uh, youth in, in some of the uh, targeted areas here in Pinellas County. Uh, helping them find jobs during the summer, for example, and, uh, and beyond uh, once they uh, get out of school. Uh, we also provide a variety of vocational services to veterans. Uh, we have a couple of safe havens, which are homeless uh, residential treatment facilities for individuals straight off the street, and we help them get stabilized. Uh, those safe havens are what are considered low demand, meaning uh, we don't require sobriety. We, uh, we try to help folks get sober and, uh, you know, get stable, but they're not required to remain uh, abstinent in terms of uh, drugs and alcohol in that program. So we're, we're pretty busy and we're growing. I've got uh, two projects under construction right now and about to start uh, construction on another 20 unit development here in St. Petersburg using primarily state money not federal dollars, but uh, the Florida Housing Finance Corporation funds a lot of our developments these days. And they also uh, consider those dollars to trigger Section 504, although they're not federal dollars. The Florida legislature has um, mandated the, the same standards for new construction using uh, state dollars. That's fantastic. Jack, as we, we wrap up today, do you have any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners about rights and responsibilities under fair housing? Well, I would just say that, uh, you know, working in, in the field of uh, ADA technical assistance and fair housing technical assistance, what I see is sometimes uh, remarkable in the level of overt, direct, intentional discrimination in the housing world. Most businesses who are open to the public, inviting you to come in and enjoy their restaurant, their shop, understand that the ADA uh, prohibits discrimination against individuals with disabilities, or at least they uh, make a, an attempt to not discriminate. But in the housing world, we see landlords who think, I own this building and I can set the rules and uh, I'm not going to rent to you because you have a mental illness. I'm not going to rent to you because you use a wheelchair. I'm not going to rent to you or I'm not going to provide accommodations to you and just blatantly discriminate. So it's, it's remarkable that uh, in this day and age, we've had the Fair Housing Act since 1968, applying to individuals with disabilities since 1988, and yet we still see blatant discrimination in the housing world. 
sometimes depressing <laughs> to, to deal with some of that overt uh, uh, you know, discrimination against individuals with disabilities and other protected classes under the Fair Housing Act. So I, I think our work is not done. Uh, there's still lots of, uh, lots of work to do in the fair housing world to help educate landlords, condo associations, homeowner associations, even lenders, bankers. Uh, I once had a case where I was helping a young man buy a condo. He was an individual with a developmental disability, um, employed, had saved his money, was ready to buy a condominium, needed a loan from the bank, and the bank wanted to him to have a competency hearing before they would issue that loan. That's the kind of blatant discrimination you see. And of course, you can't set different terms and conditions for mortgages for a person with a disability. That young man bought that condo after I pointed that out to the, uh, the bankers. As I say, we still have a lot of, a lot of work to do. So, so that does lead me to a question. If I feel that I have been the victim of housing discrimination, what do I do, Jack? First of all, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, enforces the Fair Housing Act, and I would encourage you to file a complaint with HUD, and their central office is in Atlanta for our uh, region. There may be state remedies uh, as well. And in Florida, for example, we have a Human Rights Act. We have a commission on human relations. And you can file a complaint at the local level through the state commission, who has offices around the state, uh, who can proceed. And, and I typically advise uh, callers from Florida to uh, follow that route to file with your uh, uh, state um, housing assistance, because they will investigate and take action quicker than HUD may. HUD obviously is busy, and they're looking for impactful cases, which your case may not be in that category. But nevertheless, you need uh, you need redress to your complaint, and uh, so look to your state to see if you have state enforcement of fair housing laws, and that's probably the best route and quickest route to get relief. Good, good advice. Thanks, Jack. So, Jack, thanks for sharing your, your time, this valuable information about fair and accessible housing. Um, folks, our guest today have been, has been Jack Humberg. He is the chief executive officer of Bowley Centers uh, in the Tampa Bay area. And as a reminder, listeners, you can access all ADA Live episodes with archived audio, accessible transcripts, and resources on our website. That's adalive.org. You can listen to the ADA Live SoundCloud channel at soundcloud.com forward slash ADA Live. You can download ADA Live to your favorite podcast app by searching for ADA Live. Listeners, if you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act or the Fair Housing Act, you can use our online form anytime at adalive.org or contact your regional ADA center at 1-800-949-4232. Those calls are always free and they're confidential. ADA Live is a program of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, in collaboration with the Disability Inclusive Employment Policy Rehabilitation Research and Training Center. Our producer is Celestia Razda with Beth Miller Harrison, Mary Mortar, Emily Ruber, 
Marsha Schwanke and me, I'm Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Wheel City, the movement for improvement. Also, as a reminder, we invite you to tune in to our companion podcast, Disability Rights Today. Disability Rights Today is your source for in-depth discussion on important court cases that have shaped the Americans with Disabilities Act. You can learn more at disabilityrightstoday.org. See you next episode. Steps. Yeah.